We are uh, chapter 14, so if you have your Bibles, open them please to the 14th chapter of Judges. We'll begin with verse 5. You can see on the outline, I usually ask Vicki to scoot the outline up a little bit when we finish the section, so you'll see the first gap occurs at verse 5. A lion, a riddle, and revenge. So I'd really like to get that whole passage in front of us. So it, it is a little lengthy, but let's go ahead and read it. Uh, verse 5 through the end of the chapter. So uh, here we go. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards at Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. That was the one that he, the the Philistine woman that he had said, I want her to be my wife. That's who he's talking about. Sometimes I do find it interesting, and I'm not going to talk about this in a minute. (laughs) I do find it interesting that it says he liked her. Is that what you said about your prospective spouse? (laughs) I like him. Or I like her. I I don't think so. I think I'm looking at folks who said, I love her or I love him. Well, please don't tell me otherwise if that was not the case. (laughs) Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it. They too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions, kind of like um, groomsmen. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. He's going to build his wardrobe right there. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? That's pretty draconian, isn't it? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied, so why would I explain it to you? (laughs) That's an intriguing answer also, but we'll leave that for another day. She cried the whole seven days of the feast. Now, I think the initial reading of that is to say, well, quintessential nagging wife. (laughs) But wait a minute, remember what the Philistines said they were going to do to her? So I I have no... um, I can understand her desperation. Now, 
why didn't she tell Samson so that he could protect her and her family? Okay, I don't have the answer to that, but it's all interesting to think about. She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. It's a unique way to put it. (laughs) Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. And my word would be, uh-oh. Okay, so let's, this is a fascinating passage of scripture. So let's look at it. Samson's with his parents on the way to Timnah. He's going to show them the woman that he wants to marry. Um, for some reason, on the way, they're separated. That becomes obvious because when he kills the lion, it says he didn't tell his parents. And then later, they are joined together again. So what happened? Did he take a side route? Did the parents stop and rest? I mean, we don't know, but they are separated. He may have gone faster ahead of them. I don't know. But the importance of the separation will become obvious in just a few moments. So um, it appears from verse 8, just trying to read through in details, that maybe, maybe Samson went off on a side route for, for some reason. So um, it, it tells us that he kills a lion who, who came out to pounce on, on him. He kills the lion. And now here is his first breaking of his vow as, as a Nazarite. Nazarite cannot touch a dead animal. So after killing the lion in self-defense, then Samson should have gone to the priest for cleansing. Um, he didn't. Should have gone to the tabernacle for cleansing, but he didn't. He's on a mission, and he doesn't have time to mess with that in, in his thinking. So it, it, he doesn't tell his parents. He doesn't tell them. Why not? Well, they would have known that you have broken your vow. So after um, after conversation, he he converses with the uh, with the woman, and so after conversation, verse seven, he's convinced she's the one for me. Now, think before he had only seen her. Now he talks to her. Lust drew him, but now. His desire for her to be his wife is confirmed in his mind. But on the way to the wedding, he violates his vows big time. Now, we can understand the killing of the lion. But what he does next is a disregard for his vows as an Azurite. Because it tells us that he sees the dead lion um, and there are bees in there, and they've made honey. And so he reaches in and scoops some out from the dead lion. And, you know, we might want to just slough over this, 
But here, here's, here's the thing about his Nazarite vows. Samson knew exactly what he was doing. There, there's no question about that. He knew what he was doing. Those vows were crystal clear to him and had been drilled into him from childhood. So he knew what he was doing was wrong. You can understand the killing of the lion, but now the return and the scooping his hands in and taking the honey out is not, there's no excuse for that. And notice he gives his parents some, but he doesn't tell them where he got it. You would think he would say, oh, guess what? I killed a lion. I came back and they no, he didn't. He didn't tell them. Why not? They would have known about the breaking of his vows. Now, in the Middle East, the, the carcass, there was a passing of time, obviously. The carcass had dried, which doesn't take long for anything to dry over there. The stench would have been gone. The vultures had probably done their thing on picking away at the, at the meat. And then he causes his parents to become part of his vow breaking or part of his deception well it moves on to verses 10 and 11 and we get the wedding preparation and he gambles with his Philistine wedding attendants which is very foolish but at this point we've read enough to come to understand Samson can't seem to help himself so these attendants can't solve the riddle and if I didn't know the end of the story, I'd have never guessed it in a thousand years either, would you? I mean, I would have never guessed that forever. So they, I don't know if blackmail's the right word. They blackmailed his fiancée or they just, they threatened to kill her and her family. And so she in, in turn wants to know the answer to the riddle and, of course, she cries and she weeps and she does whatever it, it takes to get the answer. She gets the answer and immediately tells the Philistines. And this is going to cost Samson money. Uh, so he's not happy at all about that. He's mad and he knows she has betrayed him because she's the only person other than himself who knew the answer to the riddle. So it's obvious that she did it. And so he's very upset and so Samson uh, takes vengeance. Uh, but I want you to remember, who's in control here? Samson? God's in control. And what is God doing? He Remember, we talked about this. He's shaping events so that there will be conflict between Israel and the Philistines. God is orchestrating the details to cause there to be conflict. And so Israel doesn't know this yet. Samson doesn't even know it. He doesn't see the big picture. But God is in control. Vengeance is on Samson's mind. He's mad. And and he's going to take it out on the Philistines. So it says he went and he killed 30 men. And, And then he took off their clothes in order to pay his gambling debt. And then he went home mad. And it says in verse 20 that his this woman that he desired to be his wife 
and really now has become his wife, has been given to another. So somehow, even if you'd never read the story, based on what you know about Samson, you've got to think, this is probably not going to go well. Something's going to happen. And it did. Now, just as an aside, a modern-day aside, this arrangement that Samson has is actually very prevalent today among Palestinian Arabs. Very common. A man will have one wife, and they live together. But he also has many wives in other places. And so, periodically, he will go to visit them and take gifts and support, and uh, he will sleep with them for a day or two or three or four or five or six and then go back to his to his home. So this is uh, kind of a precursor to modern days, I suppose. Very, not uncommon at all. Not right, but not uncommon. So it seems that this is the kind of marriage relationship Samson is going to have with this woman. It's going to be kind of a come-and-go marriage. I'll come when I please, and I'll go when I please, and you need to be there ready for me when I come. And don't give me a hard time when I go. And I will bring gifts, and I'll bring money. You won't need, you won't lack for anything. But if you're thinking I'm going to live with you full time, then that's not going to happen. So that's the arrangement that Samson has. And again, we just see sin, but we see multitude of problems in that. So as we come to chapter 15, we're going to see vengeance, capture, and a show of strength. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. Oh, okay. He said, so now you're thinking, uh-oh, and the uh-oh is right. I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion, one of the attendants. So the father realizes this is a situation. So he offers Samson her younger sister and even says, isn't she prettier than the woman you chose? She's she's more attractive. Take her instead. Samson said to them, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So Samson realizes what he did before was not right. This time he thinks I'm justified. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. I would love to have seen it. (laughs) What an amazing moment. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnites' son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So things escalate. The Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. 
Well, Samson won't stand by for that. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah. Notice where they are? Judah. Spreading out near Lehi. The women of Judah asked, the people of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Let those words sink in. They are rulers over us. God's people... That, that, that confession, that outward admittance that they are enslaved to the Philistines. So he answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. Now that is a twisted view of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a twisted view of that. They said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Now these are, these are Israelis, Judah, the tribe of Judah. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Now notice how he's playing them. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the spirit of the Lord, uh, shouting, I'm sorry, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And the ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, With a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramoth-Lehi, which means jawbone hill. Because he was thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. So the spring was called in Hakor, and it is still there in Lehi. It means caller's spring, the one who called out to God, the caller's spring. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the day of, days of the Philistines. Wow. Okay, now let, let's look at this, this chapter. Verses 1 and 2, he pays a visit to his wife, receives the shocking revelation that she's been given to another, and he's uninterested in the younger sister. I'm not sure that he ever even looked at her. I, I think the rage was immediate, and, and so he was not interested in anyone except the woman, except his own wife. So in verses 3, 4, and 5, we see Samson as impetuous and vindictive. And he takes revenge by destroying their livelihood. And, and the Philistines get revenge on him by burning up his wife and his father-in-law. So this thing has escalated and gotten out of control, or at least it appears that way. So Samson then responds by slaughtering many of the Philistines. 
Now they respond by sending their army to capture Samson. So they go to Judah where he is. Judah is afraid of destruction and, and defeat. They know they can't beat the Philistines. So they send 3,000 men out to capture him. And they are okay with capitulation. Don't you know, Samson, that we, the Philistines control us? That's one of the sadder statements in the whole, te- the whole text. God's people are in subjugation to some of the most awful people who ever lived, the Philistines. They're sad. So this is their first open admission of enslavement, at least in the text. So Samson forces a promise from them, uh, don't kill me, and he submits to being bound. I don't think there was anybody there who suspected what was about to happen. So far, they have not gotten their, they've not gotten their mind around all of this. And so they bind him up. Now here again, I know, I don't want to flog a dead horse, but, but the things I've said about Samson probably not being all that extraordinarily strong looking, because time and time and time again, we see actions that indicate nobody was Nobody was looking at him and saying, boy, look at those muscles. We know where he gets his strength. They were looking at him and saying, what, how in the world is he doing what he's doing? So they tie him up with ropes, and they didn't seem concerned at all that he might just go, boop, break those ropes and, and do damage. So they tie him up, and we won't hurt you. We won't kill you. We're just going to give you the Philistines and let them do it, and which is what he asked. But it says the Spirit of God came on him. What does that tell us? It says the Spirit of God came on him, not in him. It came on him. And he set himself free. Where did his strength come from? It came from God. He found a donkey jawbone violating his vows again. And he struck down a thousand and puts poetry to it. Ramath Lehi, Jawbone Hill appropriately named so he calls out to the lord after it's over and said i'm about to die of thirst i need water and god opens a place in the hill and the water flows for samson the spirit of god is on samson but not in samson if you're a christ follower do you see the distinction It's not that the Spirit of God is on you. It is that the Spirit of God is in you. The Holy Spirit. Well, we are utterly amazed at what we read in this chapter. But the most famous episode in Samson's life is now about to unfold before us. And that is Samson and... Yeah, Samson and Delilah. Okay. So let's look at, um, we've got time, I think, to do the first three verses. And we'll finish that. We'll finish Samson next week. Verse 1. One day Samson went to Gaza. Some names never change, right? Same territory as Gaza today. He went to Gaza. So it's an aside, but the conflict between the Israelis and Gaza has been going on a long time. 
That's not a modern-day thing. That's been going on a long time. The Philistine country was in Gaza. So Samson goes to Gaza. Why are you going there? we got all kinds of questions. Why are you going there, Samson? You're, you're, you're an Israeli going to Gaza. What's going on? Why would you go to the heartland? Yes, they do control, the, they do control things, but, but now they don't because you've led them for 20 years and, and the Philistine shackles have been broken. Why are you going there? I mean, if I saw Samson, I'd say, what would you go there for? And then what does he do? He saw a prostitute. And he went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. Well, that's no surprise. The word spreads. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all, and he lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So let's look at those three verses. Philistine city on the Mediterranean, far western extreme of, of Israel. And he goes into a prostitute. How foolish, how utterly foolish. If we're, if we're thinking that in the ensuing 20 years, Samson grew in maturity, we'd be mistaken. He did not. So the word got out. That's not surprising. A crowd gathers. They're going to pounce on him at daybreak. However, Samson gets up during the night, goes to the city gates, rips them off, bars and all, lifts them up, and carries them away to a hilltop facing due east to Hebron, which is 38 miles away. Why? He is in Hebron, I mean, he is facing Hebron, which was the chief city of Judah. Ring a bell? What happened? Judah came after Samson and said, you're causing a whole lot of trouble and we're going to get licked by the Philistines, so we've come to capture you his own people, we've come to capture you, and we're going to give you to the Philistines, which is then what he asked. Give me the Philistines. Don't kill me, but give me to the Philistines. Message delivered to Judah. Here I am on top of the hill looking at you some 38 miles away. I can tell you before the sun was in the middle of the sky the next day, everybody in Hebron knew exactly what had happened. Message delivered to Judah, don't mess with me. So you may wonder why all those details there about the gate and looking at Hebron, all that, that's it. Samson's delivering a message to Judah. At the same time, he is so reckless, even though he appears um, fearless, and I guess to some, I guess he is fearless. But reckless, fearless is not a good thing. He seems to think he can do as he pleases, and still be strong. He ignores God's part in his strength, which, unbeknownst to him, is one hundred percent of it. So we come to verse four. 
And we're going to be introduced to the famous Delilah. Samson and Delilah. You've read that story when you were a child. You've read it numerous times since then. And here we are. Samson and Delilah, or as I put the next passage, Delilah and Samson's power. So next Wednesday, verse 4. Samson and Delilah, an incredible story, and we're all going to wade through this and get to the end of it, and Samson dies, but what an incredible death. And God uses Samson over against the Philistines. And again, just like we've said in Judges, God will do what God wants to do, and he uses some pretty crazy people. He uses sinful people, he uses reckless, selfish people, and he uses godly people to accomplish his will. And he is sovereign, he can do exactly what he wants to do. We need to remember that. And next week, the conclusion to the life of Samson. Hope you'll be here. Be careful on the wet streets, okay? Father, we love you. We are reminded of the importance of our faithfulness and discipleship, of our not ignoring the presence of the Spirit in in our lives, but of listening to the still, small voice of the Spirit as He says to us, this is the way, walk in it, and of realizing that if it were not for You, we would have no strength, we would have no hope for the future. But in You, there is hope, there is joy, There is completeness, and we pray, Father, that the rest of this day we will live as joy-filled Christians before those we encounter. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.